All right, everyone. Let's get to it. WXBU Radio being brought to you from Spotify. It's Wildcat Formation, your favorite place for NFL content on Villanova University campus. I am Anders Pryor, your host. Got a packed show for you today. A lot of crazy stuff going on. First episode, introductory episode, snowy day. Be careful, stay warm, go to Holy Grounds, get yourself a hot chocolate, because you deserve it in preparation for a wild weekend, snowy weekend. We got a packed weekend of football. Tons of crazy stuff. Bengals, Chiefs, Rams, Niners. A lot of coaching news. Hirings are happening. It's starting. Not just rumors. It's coming to real life. You know, finally, always a great part of the year. So I want to start with this, open up with this. So we just had probably the best weekend of football ever, right? I mean, I think the Bengals quite literally at one point, you know, ran out of Evan McPherson jerseys to sell, you know, rookie kicker, comes out of Florida, wins the game. Of course, it'll be a walk-off field goal. Why, why would it be anything else? You know, comes in, spoils the return of King Henry, wanted everyone to have a big show. When he comes back, kind of fell flat a little bit. Didn't play bad, but, you know, it didn't get quite the production that we thought, which we didn't really expect of him in any way. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, three, three picks, shrinks in a big moment, you know, a little bit of Kirk Cousins there, you know, just saying, right, how's how's that going to feel for Rabel, you know, who's a tough guy, and you kind of forget everything and move on, you know, short-term memory, I don't think so. You know, we'll see how that plays out. You know, Burrow sacked nine times, persevered, kept calm, cool, poised, didn't make any tremendous mistakes, won the game, didn't try to desperately shoot the ball out 100,000 yards Jamar Chase, kept us cool, stayed calm, rallied his guys, won the game. And it was an ugly win, but it was a win. Very exciting. Jimmy Garoppolo with the, I think, I believe it was 59.7, the worst passer rating by a San Francisco quarterback in postseason win history. In the snowy blizzard, no offensive touchdowns. It was field goal, special teams touchdown, field goal. In the snowy blizzard at Lambeau Field, potentially sending Aaron Rodgers into turmoil over his future. Because, of course, that would happen if he were to lose. Uh, Matthew Stafford could potentially send Brady into retirement. You know, finally get the, you know, show people what he's capable of. Because, you know, big surprise when you get good players and a good coach and a good culture and a good defense. You win games. You know, crazy how that works, right? And Cooper Cup might be the best receiver in the league, yet still has this insane ability to where you watch him every week and he gets better every week. His skill set improves every week. He becomes more refined about where to shoot gaps, where to find open space, how to place his feet, how to turn his hips. He gets better every week, even though he might be the best receiver in the NFL, which is crazy. Um, And then obviously, you know, Bill's Chiefs, Best football game of all time. Best thing we've seen in American television. Um, we're going to get 10 great years of what th- what just happened there. So lucky to be a football fan at this time with those two guys just out there. Very excited moving forward. This this place is a bright future. This league has a bright future. So I want to talk about Super Bowl weekend ahead of time because, you know, so the NFL, the Shield, the, le- the league, right? It's a product, you know, it's a, it's an organization, sports organization, and it, it, you know, it's a story, it's a saga, but it's it's a product. And so they want to put the best product, because it, it's a company, they want to put the best product out on the field, right? What's best for the sport of football? What's best for the image of the shield? Um, How does it all unfold? You know, how can they communicate their product to the public? Because 
you know, you can have the best pair of blue jeans out there. You can have the best car, the best phone. If you can't communicate that to someone, it's a waste of supplies, a waste of time, waste of talent. And so they want to communicate that product to everyone. It's why, and they've done a really good job. It's why they're leaps and bounds ahead of everyone in ratings. Um, not just sports, but in programming in general. Because, you know, the league was the league was much more story driven this year. There were more characters with hero arcs and villain arcs, you know, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes slumping, like what the hell is he gonna do? Aaron Rodgers with all this vax nonsense. Joe Burrow coming off of an injury, you know, comeback player, MVP, kid from Ohio, um, Dan Campbell, you know, being everyone's favorite psychopath, um, leading those guys into just every game and being the best work the best worst team we've ever seen. Baker Mayfield, what the hell is going on with him? There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot there are a lot of things to talk about other than just games this year. And so Usually it's the NBA, right? They're the ones with the characters, the, the 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 kind of action heroes, right? The the social media guys, the fashion guys, the crypto guys, the guys who do acting and podcasts and they do food stuff. And I mean, you I mean, and that's what it is. Like that's what it means to be an NBA player to be that. I mean, people say OBJ is an NBA player in the NFL in terms of personality, which I think is really spot on. And so, but this year the NFL, the NFL was like that too. They had characters, and I think as the league gets younger and the coaching gets younger, people just get better earlier. Especially with these NIL deals coming out in college, you're going to see more and more great characters with great stories. The question now becomes, how do those stories best benefit the NFL and the product they put out onto the field? And so I thought about, I thought about this. So what would happen to the NFL and their narrative as a, as a product, as a company, and as a league, and the narrative of football as a sport if each team won, right? For some of this, it's very obvious, right? What I like about a lot of these teams that are in the playoffs now, the left, are that they have very specific things to gain and very specific things to lose. For the Chiefs, you know, like, this is the dynasty. Like, it, it's it's this, right? Like, it's getting to the Super Bowl. It's winning multiple Super Bowls within a certain time span. You know, you you if, you, if they win, if they win twice in three years, you keep alive this notion of you have to get through me. Like, I'm the guy to be, right? Like, that's a constant. And what it does is it creates stories. It creates stories. It creates hero stories and underdog stories for people that go up against that immovable object in Kansas City like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. So whenever they lose, it goes one way and it's strengthened. Or whenever they win... It's, you know, it's something new to talk about. It's like, ooh, this is a big challenge for them. Dynasties generate stories constantly. Like, we get this confusion about how, you know, dynasties make the league and make sports monotonous, but it doesn't because dynasties generate stories with other teams all the time. And what it also does is it gives a constant for everyone to talk about. I mean, people with the Patriots, when they were huge, when they were a dynasty for 20 years, I know people that never pay attention to football in their entire life who knew who Bill Belichick was and what his personality was like and how dominant his defenses were. And so you do that here. 
but you do it with how everyone knows how Patrick Mahomes has a huge Texas accent and how Andy Reid looks like Santa and is hyper creative and hyper explosive and you give a cost to people to talk about, which expands the audience and increases cultural relevance. And, you know, Mahomes Mahomes is young. Like, this is his time. Like, this isn't, this isn't like Brady winning the Super Bowl in his last few years where it's nice for an offseason and it's like, oh, get back to work. Like, this is Mahomes' time. Okay, he's 26, 27. It's his moment, right? He is the guy to beat, and he's the guy to beat when he's young, and it creates longevity and it creates stories. And so if the Chiefs win, that's what happens. If the Bengals win, then Joe Burrow, if he is able to win at LSU and then win at Cincinnati, he will essentially become a football mogul legend, both nationwide, but also in Ohio, like high school, college. Like he started off at Ohio State, transferred to LSU, the, the Ohio kid down south, and then the NFL going to the Bengals, which is just perfect for him. Like, he wins at LSU, becomes visually iconic with the cigar, with the smoke, spelling his last name with the French X at the end. Then he goes to the NFL. He has those glasses that he wears at the end of press conferences. The connection with Jamar Chase is forever engraved. He becomes a character, but he becomes a f- not even just a character. He becomes a figure, a figure in football, college, pro, high school, everything like that. His high school stadium is named after him now, and it's just an amazing comeback story for a very very just likable kid who flirts between the line of confident and cocky just so perfectly and entertainingly and it just benefits everyone it doesn't just benefit the NFL if the Bengals win it it benefits football if the Bengals win and then for the Rams you know Stafford finally after a decade essentially gets the credit he deserves Because one of the things that player mobility has done in the NFL and in the NBA as well, but but we're talking but for the NFL especially because the roles are more defined and especially for quarterbacks too, is it creates context. It creates a bigger emphasis on context for players. Not just about the players that are mobile, but about the ones that are staying and the projections that we can make about them. If they went here, it would be like when this player went there, etc. And I think we've seen that with Stafford. It would be great for him at this point in his career to just get that Super Bowl ring and forget forget the playoffs because he has this momentum. There was a really fantastic moment, I thought, during the Bucks game when they were going up against them where he throws that dart to Cooper Cup 40 yards down the field some people are cheering. Some of the O-line are cheering. Tyler Higby, the tight end, is cheering. But then he just runs down the field screaming at his players to get in formation. But it wasn't a rush because he got them in formation. And then he waits. When he gets to the position where he's able to spike the ball, he actually waits a few seconds. He's able in all of that turmoil to just be aware of the clock. And then he spikes the ball. And, I mean, when he punches his fists in the air and screams to the sideline, you can really feel that, and you can feel how long he was waiting for that, and I thought that was a really good moment. That, to me, was more memorable than the Cooper Cup throw, is that specific gesture. But more importantly, what the, what happens if the Rams win is Sean McVay, right, youngest coach in the league, hired at 30, you know, 
sets this trend, right? It's because it, it's it is a trend. Like we see, coaches are getting younger and more offensively based. Because as the rules change, coaching is being favored in certain hubs. In this case, it's offensive kind of minded groups and offensive minded personnel are taking advantage of these new rules because we see that as a trend for success, especially in the playoffs, right? I mean, you know, Sean McVay. Kyle Shanahan, Cliff Kingsbury, Zach Taylor, who a year ago we not even sure was the right coach. You know, Nick Sirianni, who I don't think anyone expected to be at this point. And what it does is if you can imagine a coach in that sphere hoisting the Lombardi trophy, it moves the notion of the young, brilliant offensive coach from a trend to actually now a standard. It's the bar to reach. Um it's the new norm and it would it would make it would make you know the idea that you have to go young and you have to go offense it would make it essential and it would make guys like Andy Reid and Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin and Pete Carroll it would make them the outsiders it would not make them the face of the coaching sphere of the NFL anymore and the NFL with their rule changes wants the narrative of offense is important, offense is critical, offense is the point of the game. And if Sean McVay wins, they communicate that narrative better than in any other way possible, especially with someone who is as intense and likable as Sean McVay. Um, and so the new standard is created if they win, and I think that would be really important for the league going forward. But then there's the 49ers, who many people thought were going to barely make it or not even make it at all, be slipped out at the last minute by whether it was the Saints or the Falcons or the Vikings or the Eagles who actually ended up making it alongside them. Um, And so I was thinking, right? So if the 49ers win, if they win the Super Bowl, after losing in it two years ago, what good does it do for the NFL? Who in the NFL does it do good for other than the 49ers? Because the other three, three, three teams I just mentioned, it, it does good in like a bunch of different ways for specific people, for players, for coaches, for the brand, for the aesthetic of the league, for football in general. But if the 49ers win, it doesn't really say that much right because we never doubted it's not a, it can't be able to be a comeback story because we never doubted Jimmy G like he's been here before like he was in the Super Bowl two years ago this is not new for him he's been here before it's not really a comeback story and you can't say it's about injury because this is who Jimmy is he's injury prone like he is injured all the time it's why Trey Lance is there this doesn't and if he does win what is he going to say? Is he going to say, oh, Jimmy G's not as injury prone as we thought he was? No. Trey Lance is there for a reason. He's there because it's a trend and not a one-off instance. And it doesn't change that reality, right? And then, so, it doesn't really do much for the league. Because, it's tr- I mean, his trade value doesn't change. I mean, right now he's probably what, right? Let's say the Broncos, the Steelers, or someone else, Right? Go after him. Giants, whatever. Right now, he's a first-round pick, let's say. Right? I think that's fair, right? Jimmy Garoppolo, first-round pick. That's fair. Does he does he jump to two firsts if he wins? 
because Matthew Stafford was two firsts and a player. And I don't think any of us would think that Jimmy G is as good as Matthew Stafford, especially after what we saw over the weekend. Maybe a first and in, in a second. But then again, like that's very team situated. That's depending on what they have as draft stock. Like this isn't like a this isn't like a third round pick to multiple first kind of situation. Um this isn't like that. His trade value isn't gonna go up to the extent where it's noteworthy. There was already conflict about like what do you do? Do you start Jimmy? Do you start Trey? Do you change off based on quarters or halves? What, like what do you do? Like how do you handle this? And Jimmy G was such a just a team player, understood his limitations, understood his role, understood that it's not his team going forward, it's Trey's team. And he instead was he was mature, he was calm, he did what he needed to do. He played right, got him to the playoffs, got him to the NFC title game, which I don't think any of us really expected from them going into this season. I think some of us probably expected them to make the playoffs, but not get to here. And so the question of, it, this is going to be easy, right? Like if they didn't make the playoffs or if they lost in the first game to Dallas or whatever, this would be easy, right? Jimmy, you're gone. We would great. We're going to trade you. You're gone. This is trace time. But now you're here. So now this whole question of, you know, what do you do with Jimmy just becomes even more extended and even more complicated and messy. That's not what, that's not a good point of focus for the offseason is that discussion because Trey Lance hasn't done anything noteworthy yet. So there's no point. The NFL doesn't want, I don't think the NFL wants, I don't think Roger Goodell wants the 49ers to win. It's not good for the product because, again, there's no, there is no, there's not anything to suggest that there's going to be any kind of consistency going forward. I mean, you know, like this is a quarterback driven league. This is Josh Allen's league and Patrick Mahomes' league and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert's league. And we're not even talking about Trevor Lawrence yet. And Kyler Murray's still really, really, really good. And, I mean, you know, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson can come out at a moment's notice. You know, maybe this, you know, Lamar's going to get healthy. Maybe this Kenny Pickett guy turned out to be half decent. It's a quarterback-driven league. That's what they want to communicate to everyone. And you want Jimmy G, who might not even be on the same team next year, to be the center of that? I wouldn't. You want to communicate to everyone, This the quarterback is the most important part of this all-American sport, you can't have Jimmy G at the center of that. He's a good-looking guy. Maybe visually he's fun to put on a poster, but he's not Josh Allen. He's not as impactful as Patrick Mahomes. He's not as dynamic as, or as a character or a player as, you know, Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. He's not even a, as, he's not as generational or even close as what we think Trevor Lawrence is going to be. You know, he's not responsible for a lot of these wins. Right, he like this Packers. The Packers win again. It was field goal, special teams touchdown, field goal. You could have done that with a lot of people. You really could have. So, I don't think it's a good move for the NFL. I don't think it's good for the NFL in general if Jimmy G and the 49ers win. I think that if they do win then the narratives that they want to push and the aesthetic they want to communicate to their crowd become very difficult. And so I would not be up for it. 
I think it'd be good for them. Be happy for them, but I'm not. But I'm not rooting for it. So I want to get to this. So there's a lot of coaching mayhem, a lot of new hires happening. You know, we have three new confirmed hires. Well, two are 100 percent. One's essentially like 95 percent. We haven't got like we haven't gotten like a breaking from Adam Schefter or think about it yet. But we'll get to that. Um, just so to, to quickly address, um, Matt Eberflus. He is going to be the new head coach of the Bears. Colts defensive coordinator under Frank Reich. He was my person. I really like this hire. He's my personal favorite defensive candidate in this new cycle. I liked him more than Raheem Morris. I liked him more than D'Amico Ryans. I liked him more than more than Gerard Mayo, more than Aaron Glenn. You know, he's very creative led the league, Colts led the league in turnover differential. To me, that translates to creativity, situational versatility with personnel, understanding personnel, understanding of opponent. I think that this Bears defense, which they're very prideful of as a team, has post Vic Fangio has kind of relied on the namesake of their players to make things happen for them over a lot of their schemes. And I think that you bring Matt Eberflus in, who's in, who's very creative, very innovative on the defensive side of the ball. You don't have to rely on Khalil Mack or Cal Fuller, who's not even there anymore, to make everything happen. Now you can kind of spread everything out. You can get multiple people involved. You can create plays, create momentum with some guys that might not be as, you know, big time as Khalil Mack or Robert Quinn. It's just a question of, you know, this goes against the direction of the league, which is more offensive and more young. At this point in the Bears' rebuild, quarterback development is the most important thing out there in terms of their checklist of what they need to cover, right? It's that in the O-line, the O-line they can address in the draft, they don't have a first-rounder, but it's a very deep O-line class, especially on the interior, um, so there's no problem there. The quarterback development of Justin Fields is absolutely critical, so this uh, this offensive coordinator hire is going to be so, so important going forward. Um, there's a lot of people that I can envision them going with. I'm sure I'll make a right. I think, I think Mike Kafka would be interesting. I think Mike McDaniels or Kevin O'Connell, who are being interviewed for head coaching jobs as we speak, would be very interesting fits. I think Joe Brady would be an interesting idea to experiment with. I think that the Panthers made a mistake, and I think that Joe Brady would be able to take advantage of Justin Fields' skill set and his traits. And then I also think that Ken Dorsey, the Bills quarterbacks coach, who people are saying is going to be head coach candidate next year, would also be a good choice. So that's a very important hire. The other two hires I want to talk about um, are the ones that I think are most people are kind of buzzing about. Right now, what's being understood is that Byron Leftwich is going to take the head coaching job of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think that anyone would say that it's the, outside of the cap space argument, I don't think that anyone would say that it's the best job available. I think most people would agree that that title would go to either the Denver Broncos or Raiders. And obviously, you know, the the Broncos have their guy, who we'll get to in a second. You know, the Raiders, we'll see what they do with Rich Passaccia, how much money they have to give to Jim Harbaugh, etc. So the Ra- Jacksonville's not the best job, but I believe 
my belief, and I think what other people would say is that it's the most important job. It's the most important hiring. It's the hiring that we're going to be talking about the most going forward. Byron Leftwich, I think, is a great hire. I think that he is, I don't think he was the, I think, I don't think it was the best. I would have gone with Doug, Doug Peterson in the building, get him in the, you know, get him in the facility. He's won a Super Bowl before, you know, don't play it. Don't get experimental with a Kellen Moore or a D'Amico Ryans or, you know, Todd Bowles, who says, who's had a questionable track record as a head coach. I still think Byron left, which was probably the best offensive coordinator available to take maybe outside of Kellen Moore maybe he is the maybe Byron Leftwich is number one um but I think it's a great hire obviously he's very smart and he's worked with different a lot of different kinds of people worked with Jameis Winston has you know not record success but statistical success with Jameis um in terms of passing yards and touchdowns and then gets a whole completely different beast with Tom Brady and is able to win a Super Bowl in the first year. And so I think the versatility that he that he brings to the table in terms of who he works with and who he has worked with is going to be important when working with Trevor Lawrence because, again, you know, he's a, he's a quarterback, right? Byron was a quarterback for the Jaguars, so he's been in Trevor's position before. And so the intimacy that will come with that quarterback development for Trevor is going to be, I think, really beneficial and proactive when developing him off of what was a pretty, I would say, underwhelming rookie season. It makes sense with the rest of the league because he's young, right? He's 42, offensive guy, right? Throw the, throws the ball down the field, spreads everything out, uses... uses Huge versatility. He, um, 11, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 21, 12, 22, everything. He's a little bit of everything. And so I think whatever personnel he has, whatever new guys they decide to get in with the draft, because again, they have a lot of draft stock. They have the first, the 33rd, and then another second later on that's also really high quality. He's going to be able to work with everything, um, which is going to be critical going forward with a, what is still going to be a very young, inexperienced team. But the most important thing that I saw in the hiring process was that he made it very clear, I'll take this job, but I don't want Trent Baalke there. To me, that's a translation of he's taking control, he's setting the tone, he has a clear vision for the culture, and he knows who has to be there in order for him to get what he wants to get done accomplished. Because the Jaguars came out and said that they were going to continue going with Trent Baalke, moving him from the intramurum to the full-time general manager. And so the fact that they're making this change is obviously a sign that this was, and you know, the fact that we know that Byron came out and made that demand, A, is a confirmation that he's getting the hiring, but also B, an indication that they are leaning into what he's saying and that they really like what he's saying and that they're going to buy into him because if there's not full buy-in from the coach, it's hard for them to do their job. And so what they're doing now is they're going to they're be taking, the reports are saying, saying that they're going to, Adrian Wilson is their new general manager. He's the Arizona Cardinals vice president of pro scouting um, who just irrespective of the situation is an excellent hire, I think. But translation to me for Byron that he sets the tone, knows what he wants, and knows and is smart enough to realize that he can't get it with certain people in the building. And so he is assertive and I think will be great for the culture. Um, because 
you know, with someone like Trevor, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get Trevor again, right? We're not gonna get Trevor again for another ten years, right? Twenty thirty, we'll probably get something else like him, um, but not for a while. And so you are the Jacksonville Jaguar fan base, and that front office is so lucky that the Jets won those last set of games towards the end of the season because if they didn't, right? then they would have ended up with Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whoever. Instead, they have Trevor Lawrence, who might be one of the best generational talents we've ever seen since Andrew Luck or whoever. You have to get this right while he's here. He is too valuable for you to be experimenting, and he is too valuable and sacred of a piece for you to mess this up. So they need to get this right, and I think they did. Would I have picked different people? Probably, but I think that they got a really good hire. And I'm really excited to see what they do going forward. Second one, big one, Nathan Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, Packers off Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator going to the Denver Broncos as their new head coach. Um love the hire. Um I thought that the Denver Broncos front office George Patton, they did a great job of being super patient, interviewing everyone that they could, just being super diligent, due diligence to themselves, due diligence to their roster, and making the right selection. And I think they did. They went offense, changing the direction of their franchise. Obviously, Hackett, obviously, he's very bright, you know, offensively minded, offensively gifted. Had a lot of success in this league. You know, he was the offensive coordinator of the, of the Saxonville era. Worked with Blake Bortles. You know, he's worked with Aaron Rodgers. So he's worked with a variety of talent, which again, like Byron Left, which that's that versatility of experience is going to be helpful, especially in this kind of situation where they're not really sure what their quarterback situation is going forward. And this is also the beginning of the Matt LaFleur coaching tree, um, which I think because we, we, we have the Shanahan coaching tree, and we have the McVay coaching tree. So this is the, this is a this is a little floor coaching tree, and I'm very excited to see how it starts off with Hackett. I think it's a great hire, regardless of what happens with Aaron Rodgers. I know that some people are saying, "Oh, like this is their bait for Aaron. Like they're going to get Aaron here, and you know Devontae's going to come with him, and all the staff's going to come over, and they're just going to whatever." Right? I don't buy that conspiracy theory. To me, I I don't I don't think that. George Patton would make a coaching hire for a multi-billion dollar franchise in order to get someone who at this point for about a year now has been flirting with, with, with retirement, right? If you want to get Aaron, you got to give up multiple first, multiple seconds, potentially Patrick Sertain, potentially Jerry Judy. And like, who, like, do you want to give all that up for someone who might be around for a year? or someone who might retire before the season ends, or someone who might leave just halfway through the year and you give up all that draft capital? I don't think so. I would not do it. And after all the stuff that he happened, you know, I mean, you know, comes out the vaccine nonsense, Pat McAfee show every week nonsense, calls out the front office, front calls out the staff, calls out reporters and calls them idiots and say that he doesn't really know them condescending and obnoxious behavior 
I don't want that in my locker room. I don't want that in my locker room with this kind of young win now roster. I don't think it's a good example. And I don't I don't think giving what you would give up for him is worth that turmoil. If it, and I understand the argument that, you know, this draft class isn't as strong as you'd like it to be. Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Carson Strong, none of whom are super special to most scouts, and I get that, and I get that it creates the appeal for someone like Aaron, but you have to remember, right, because who else is out there? You got Jimmy G, and you got Matt Ryan. Those are kind of the two main guys that you can use to kind of go forward, not bridge guys, right? You know, Not a Teddy Bridgewater, not a Ryan Fitzpatrick, not a Gardner Minshew, not a Mitchell Trubisky. Those are like real guys. For Aaron, it probably had to be multiple first, multiple seconds, and several players. Jimmy G, you probably had to give up a first rounder for one year, maybe also a second or two seconds if he wins the Super Bowl, something like that. Matt Ryan, it's probably about the same, and he's not even in the playoffs. I would pull, I would feel much more comfortable pulling the trigger on one of those two guys who can just be consistent, be a leader, bring positive culture to the to the to the atmosphere of the building. Don't have to give up as much. You get to keep all your important players, keep your key players. I would much rather spend those assets and less of them valuably on people that I know are going to be there and who I know are going to be excited to contribute versus people who attack everyone that stands in their way and who could walk out of the building and vanish to Venice, California Beach at any given moment's notice. So I don't, I don't think this is a, I don't think that this hiring is a, Aaron Rodgers bait move. I I don't I don't buy into that. I don't buy into it with Devontae Adams. I wouldn't be shocked if Adams goes there without Aaron. I think that Devontae would still I think based on what report based on what reports are saying, I believe that Devontae Adams would still have interest in going to Denver even if Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay or goes somewhere else or retires. And so I think that would be exciting. But I still think Nathan Hackett's a great hire. There was a great, there was a statement that was given out by George Patton earlier saying Nathaniel Hackett is a dynamic leader and coach whose intelligence, innovation, and charisma impressed us from the very start of this process. In addition to having a brilliant offensive mind, Nathaniel is an outstanding teacher and communicator with a strong vision for all three phases of our team. Getting to know Nathaniel over the last couple weeks, he will bring positive energy and enthusiasm to the entire Denver Broncos organization as our head coach, creating winning and competitive environment for the players, coaches, and staff, and doing it through personnel connections and efficiency is a big part of his plan for the Broncos. From developing younger players to working with all-time greats as a key part of winning teams, Nathaniel has had tremendous success in this league. He's a student of the game and knows to how to put players in positions to win. I could not be more excited to partner with Nathaniel and welcome him along with his family, his wife Megan and children Harrison, London, Briar, and Everly to the Denver Broncos. Really good stuff. Really excited to see what they do going forward. Really curious to see what they do with that first-round pick that they have. Do they go QB? Do they go O-line, D-line, right? Do they get someone like Ojabo? Do they try and see if Tyler Linderbaum or Charles Cross fall to that position? We'll see what happens. 
that's going to do it today for us, guys. This has been Wildcat Formation with the Inner's Part on WXVU Radio, brought to you on Spotify. We'll see you next week. Stay warm.